realize we have to pipe in applause because you're not holding up your end. Uh, it's too late now. I'm just kidding. Hey, welcome everybody. Glad to see your faces here. Welcome to Discover Community Church. Um, glad to see you. You out there online, we're glad you're with us too. We prefer you're here in-house. I love seeing my folks here in-house and we can we can count on each other and support and encourage one another. That's what being a part of the body of Christ is about. Um, you can't do that remotely, but if you can't be here, we're glad you're with us anyway. I think that uh, the Lord has a message that he wanted me to deliver. Some of it came from my heart and just praying to him, full transparency. Lord, do I continue back in, in the series of Mark um, now that Easter is over, or do you have something special? And, and I wanted to preach something special, and he said, yeah, you can. But here's one thing that he told me. Full disclosure, I feel that one really important and sacred charge for a pastor is to never, ever, ever use Scripture to say something that it wasn't meant to say. Does that make sense? Anybody ever been a part of of hearing a teaching or even had somebody pull out a Scripture to justify something they wanted to say, and it doesn't make any sense in context? That's not what it was meant to say. I take that very seriously, um, and I promise you, that I have spent time in prayer. I promise you that I have spent time considering where we're going with this. When you're teaching in an expository manner, when you're teaching through a gospel and it's chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it's much more straightforward to say that when you're deciphering what God meant in there and to pull that out. When you start on a topic, Lord, here's a topic that's on my heart. It's much harder because you don't want to just pick and choose what fits your agenda uh, and so I just want to promise you, I take that charge very, very seriously, and I have done that today. So this message, we're calling it Behold, a New Thing. Anybody know what scripture that's from? We'll talk about it if you don't. It's okay. Don't shout it out. You don't want to be wrong in church and have people judge you. No, we're calling it a new thing because we're celebrating a lot of new things here today. Baptisms, for one. The newness of life, the baptisms made anew, those things are amazing to celebrate. And I hope that you guys can all stick around after service. Um, Scott said it, but I want to reiterate, if you're sitting here and you start feeling that pull and just go, you know, I've never been baptized, I want to be, or maybe I have and I just feel like I need to rededicate right now, that is totally okay. The most exciting ones that we do, no offense to those who are planning this, but the exciting ones are people that just go, what the heck? I'm feeling it. Let's, let's do this right now. I want to dedicate to the Lord. And they jump in with street clothes and everything with no, no towels, no plan for how to, you know, transition from being wet to back home. It's okay. The Lord will make a way. If he puts it on your heart, he will make a way. So we're celebrating that. We are celebrating the opportunity to move into a new building, which is no small thing. That is an exciting thing. Um, with that new building comes a new mission field and ways for us to do ministry even better than we are here. And I'll explain all that as we go through. And then just the new life that we get in Jesus every single day, every single day. So we're celebrating all those things. That's why we're calling it a new thing. So let's, let's get into it here. Now, we just came through the, the Holy Week, you know, it started out, and there's much more pieces than we even observed here, 
But, you know, you start with Palm Sunday, which is a celebration of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Then you go to Good Friday, which is an observance of him dying on the cross. And him, him being Jesus, when he died on the cross, he accomplished so much. But that was not the end of the story. That wasn't even all that he accomplished. But on Good Friday, again, when we're talking about just the death of Jesus, he died to reconcile us, to bring us closer to God. Okay, and his death on the cross accomplished that. He died on the cross to reveal God's holy character, his just character, his righteousness to us. He died to ransom us from our captivity to sin. And he died ultimately to defeat the powers of darkness. That's what his death on the cross accomplished. Then you go to Easter where we are celebrating again the resurrected Christ. His victory over death and the grave. And he died to secure your new identity. We don't have to listen to or believe what the enemy says about us. We can now rest assured in who God says we are. And we know that through the Holy Spirit. We can read Scripture, but the Holy Spirit's going to tell you, this is who you are to me, my beloved, my perfect. Whatever he's speaking to you, without that, it would just be the enemy chirping at us all the time. You're a failure. You're a loser. You're a waste of space. We no longer have to even give energy to that. He died. Jesus died to raise us into new life with him. That's what we'll be Celebrating it with baptisms here. We are new creation, literally a new creation, unburdened from the sin and brokenness that keep us from the inheritance that we are promised in Scripture. And I think most, most Christians, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you at least have some understanding of, what, of the significance of that. But I wonder how many of us really grasp the depth of what that means. It's easy to just kind of know it, but really getting it in your heart and really understanding it, that's kind of another step. Paul was trying to relay this. The Apostle Paul was trying to convey that idea to the church in Corinth. And he wrote a couple scriptures I want to share with you. Now, I will, I'll read some. We'll put some up on the screen. I use the New American Standard, NASB, if you want to follow along, if, if you have a different version, grab that and look at it. It might be slightly worded a little different, but let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 16. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. Okay, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but bear with me. Let's go. And he died for all, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Okay, that makes more sense. You're no longer living for yourself. You're now living for something greater, something outside of yourself. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. So they're saying, you've seen Christ, you've walked with him, but he's not here now. You know him in a better way, a deeper way, 
through the Spirit in you. And so we recognize each other by the Spirit. That's a deeper thing, but that's, that can still be hard. Imagine the, the audience hearing this for the first time. They hadn't heard teaching after teaching on what all these things mean. They're hearing that for the first time. So he kind of sums it up here at the end, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We have this one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That seems too good to be true, though, doesn't it? That's pretty straightforward. That takes all that part ahead. And, and so, okay, here's what this means. But that can seem pretty implausible, can it? To accept that, like, okay, the old has gone, the new has come. I am a new creation. You can hear those words, and you can even believe them, but, like, how does that work? I got a lot of baggage in my past. How does that work where that just goes away? We all spend so much time searching for something to give meaning to our life, purpose to our life. If you don't know Jesus, your purpose is to be, bottom line, it's, it's food and shelter and companionship, right? The, those hierarchy of needs that they all talk about. Okay, animals can find food. Animals can find shelter. Animals can even find a pack to run in. There's got to be something higher outside of that to give your life meaning. And it seems like that's impossible to achieve sometime if you're in that place, especially if you're in that place where I'm doing okay. In many ways, it's easier to evangelize to somebody to share who Christ is when they're in the pit. They are, they've come to the end of themselves. They're struggling. They're surrounded by circumstances. They're like, well, this is not good. There's got to be more. And you can be that person who is there at that moment to share Christ with that person. And they don't have a lot of choices. They're like, well, what I'm doing now isn't working. Maybe this is better. But what if you're trying to share Christ with somebody who things are going pretty well. They've got a good job. They've got their health. They've got a good family. Maybe they've got a really nice fat bank account and a nice house, and they've, they've got all kinds of stuff. You know there are non-believers who have good things in their life too, but what they don't have is anything outside of that as a purpose. It's rare anyway. So evangelizing to those people, sharing Christ with those people, making them see like, look, you've got, you're comfortable, you're doing well, things are doing okay, but I want you to step outside of that into something unknown and different. That's kind of hard. That's a hard sell. And yet, that's what we're called to do. So many times people think either I'm doing too well to even want anything different, or my situation is too broken. And all this stuff about a new life and a new creation, there's, I just got too much going on. Even Jesus couldn't accomplish that for me. But I want to tell you, listen to this. God delights in making a way where it seems like there's no way. 
That should get an amen. Come on. God delights in making a way when it seems like there is no way. Delights. You know what that word means? It means he's not just like, follow me. Okay, well, I'm at a dead end. Okay, there's more. It's not that. It's God anticipating, like, you keep walking your path. When you get to that place where you can't see a way forward, where you're facing a wall, you're facing opposition, guess what? I can't wait for you to get there because as soon as you do, I can show you a way. He delights in making a way when it doesn't seem like there's a way. And there's so much in Scripture that backs that up. Think about this. Going all the way back to the Exodus, Moses and the Israelites leaving Egypt. First of all, it seemed like there'd be no way they could even get out of Egypt. He made a way for that. But let's fast forward now. They've gone through the wilderness. They've done their Exodus 40 years, and they're approaching finally the promises of God. This is what God has promised all along. We can see it on the horizon. And what's the first thing that happens is Moses is told, you're going to die before you get there. Huh. Our leader, the one we followed, the one who received everything from God, the one who got us to this point, he's leaving? Sound like Jesus and the disciples, maybe? But they're there. Now Joshua takes over. Joshua, his second, his right-hand guy, his second in command, he takes over. And as soon as he takes over, almost immediately, people start going, I don't know, Joshua, those guys are pretty big and scary over there. I don't know if maybe we, we might not have what it takes to go in there and take the promised land that God has promised us. And he has to remind them. He says this, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He has to remind them of that. Like, okay, God has been with us all this time. Just because Moses is gone now, just because those guys look big and scary, the Lord is still with us wherever we go. And he's got to keep reminding them of that. See, the Lord had made a covenant with the nation of Israel. He had made a covenant. And no enemy or no circumstances, nothing would stop a righteous God from fulfilling that covenant promise. Now, it can be hard for some of us human beings to wrap our mind around that too because we hear the word covenant and we equate that with a promise, the kind of promise that that one friend of yours is constantly throwing out with no intention of fulfilling. We all know somebody like that. I promise I will do this, and you know they're not going to. That's not what a covenant is. Even more specifically, that's not what God's covenant is. God's covenant says, I promise you, therefore, it will happen. And no enemy, no insurmountable odds, no no mountain too high, no boulders too big are going to stop a righteous God from fulfilling his covenant. We need to make sure we can wrap our minds around that and understand those things insurmountable odds, enemies too big, mountains too high, boulders too big. Those are God's specialty. He's waiting for you to encounter that situation so he can say, watch. Listen and do. This is how you overcome those things. 
time and time again, Scripture reminds us, reminds us of that. David, King David, we call him King David now. At this time, he was just king-elect or future king or the anointed king. He wasn't king yet, and his circumstances certainly didn't look like the future king. If you know the story of David, if not, I recommend you look into it. It's so, it's so incredible. But he finds himself in this place where he's besieged by enemies on all sides. People are hunting for him, trying to track him and his men down, trying to kill him. And yet, and yet, oh, you're the king, by the way, but doesn't look like it now. You're about to be killed by these enemies surrounding you. And here's his response. I'm going to read Psalm 27 uh, for you, verses 1 through 6. This is David again. He's surrounded by enemies. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. If an an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. If war arises against me, in spite of this, I am confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For on the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. He will hide me in the secret place of his tent. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. That's awesome. He's talking about being surrounded by enemies who want to kill him. By armies, not just a couple. Armies want to kill him. And his response, I will sing shouts of joy. I will sing praises to the Lord. That's awesome. You know why he could do that? Because he understood what a covenant was. He understood God's covenant promises. Because God had promised David that his descendants would reign on the throne. And he took that promise to heart. And because of that, he could say, well, it looks like these guys are just about to kill me. It looks like those guys are just about to crush me. It looks like that guy's never going to give up until he does kill me. So I don't know how this is going to work, but I know that God says. And that's what he relied on. So he's able to have peace in all those circumstances, sing praises and shout for joy to the Lord while being surrounded because he knows God's promises are true and they would carry him through whatever trial was facing. Again, he didn't know how it was going to work. He didn't know how it could possibly work other than God promised. And so it was going to work. That's something we can all take to heart. God's promises are yes and amen for you. God, Scripture promises us, I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans for blessing and not curse. Plans for good and not evil. All these plans, all these things he promises It's so hard on some days to just say, I don't know how this works, but that's what God promised, so I'm good. We look at our surroundings and let them mess with our heads. Let them make us start doubting. I know God promised that, but what does that look like? Am I better off dead? Is that what that means? God's promises 
are yes and amen. They're good. And David knew that. That's why he could say that. But our human nature, constantly we are going back and forth. We are forgetting. We need to be reminded. Things happen. On the day of Pentecost, going all the way back, so it's the day of Pentecost where the disciples are in the upper room and tongues of flame come out and the Holy Spirit rests on them at an incredibly amazing sight. And then after that, David, uh, David, Peter gives his very first sermon. He gets to teach his very first sermon. A powerful sermon it was. But he has to, one of the things he has to do is immediately remind the people of God's faithfulness. Immediately remind them of what Jesus had said and that they could trust it. Listen to what he says. Acts 2, 34 through 37. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's quoting what David said right there to him. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? Remember, they had just had Pentecost and all that, but that didn't change the fact that Jesus was gone. Their leader, the Messiah, wasn't there. So, okay, so if we're going to remember that God is good and because David said so, and all this craziness happened with Pentecost, but still, what do we do now? Here's Peter's response to them. Peter's response, the very next two verses, Acts 2, 38, 39. Peter said to them, repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So he's preaching to this giant group, not only the disciples who were there, but they had seen the flame come down and the Holy Spirit rest on them. Now he's seeing repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And it had to be powerful because 3,000 were baptized on that day. That's awesome. We probably won't do 3,000 here today. But I, yes, Jesus, if that's what you want, let's do this. If you don't know by now, I will remind you that God delights in redeeming those things that seem unredeemable. He delights in making a way when there does not seem to be a way. God's story for his people is all about redemption. Again and again and again in the word, it is, it is trouble, redemption, trouble, redemption, straying, redemption, sin, redemption. Are you sensing a theme? All about God's story is, a, is redemption for his people. And his word just reminds us again and again for two reasons. One, we're human. Anybody remember the first thing I said when I got up here? I don't. If you do, you've probably taken notes. Our memories are, are flawed devices. They fail often. Some better or worse than others, but they all do. But here's the other thing. The enemy of your soul is going to try and steal that away. He's going to try and steal it away. He's going to try and convince you that it counts for everybody but you. It's going to cause you to forget all of God's faithfulness in your life. 
Or worse yet, maybe attribute it to something else, like something you did. I got lucky. I was able to find a way through this. No, that's God's faithfulness. And we need to recognize it as that. The enemy's going to try and convince you it comes from any other source except for God's faithfulness, but that's not where it comes from. Now, God used the prophet Isaiah to remind his people of what God can do, of what only God can do. Now, this is going back several hundred years before the disciples and before Jesus' ministry. Isaiah 43, 16, 17 says, This is what the Lord says. He who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters. He's reminding them of the exodus. Who brings out the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man. They will lie down together and not rise again. They have been extinguished and have gone out like a wick. He's reminding them. Remember in the exodus? Remember when Pharaoh's army was chasing you down and it looked like there was no way? God parted the sea. And the enemies were blown out like a candle flame. That's not a hard thing for God to do. He's reminding them of that. And calling that whole exodus to mind, it was not by accident. Throughout their history, the people of Israel have gone through ups and downs. Captivity gone from the frying pan into the fire. Over and over again. And then back into a more comfortable frying pan. And then into a worse fire. And then back out. It seems like it's just been one following another. And so they constantly needed reminding that no matter where you find yourself today, this is not the end of the story. This is not God has forgotten you. There's more. And there will always be more. And God will make a way out. He will make a way through it. He's trying to remind them of this over and over again. Going back to the Exodus Moses is, is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Again, even getting out of Egypt to begin with, pretty miraculous the way that all happened. But now they're out in the desert. Now they've got enemies pursuing them. They've got to keep moving. They can't just stop, and they've got a goal. We have a promised land we're supposed to be moving towards. So navigating the desert during the day is hard enough. Navigating by night, is virtually impossible. You can have torches, but finding your way is difficult. And so God made a way. As Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 12, 21 describes it. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and night. God made a way. How are we going to keep moving at night without getting separated and lost and all this? God made a way. And each time the pillar stopped, they stopped. And each time the pillar moved, they moved. It's important to remember. Think about this. Each time they stopped, they had to set up the tabernacle. And they had to set up their camp. And then each time they moved, they had to pack it away and then move. They didn't know how long it was going to be. They didn't know how long they'd be in any given place. What they knew, God stopped. When God stops, we stop. When God moves, we move. That's what they knew. 
Did you know that during the 40-year exodus, how many times do you think the Israelites had to pack up the tabernacle and pack up camp and move? 42 times. In a 40-year exodus, 40 years, they had to pack up and move camp 42 times. Somebody who's good at math can figure out how often that is. And that's just an average. There are probably some that maybe they stayed a little longer, some that maybe they only stayed a little while. But can you imagine? My, here's what my nature would be. Well, God keeps moving, so we're going to get here. I'm not going to bother setting up all my stuff. I'm going to leave some of it packed. I still have boxes packed in my basement that I haven't opened since I moved. I moved 18 years ago. Yeah. There's still boxes I haven't unpacked because what if? What if we move again? They're already packed. That's what human nature would do. But that's not what they were commanded to do. It was a big deal to set up the tabernacle and to do it correctly. And every time they stopped, they set it up. Every time they stopped, they set up their camp. And they, and they acted like they were going to stay. Because they were going to stay until God said it was time to move. And they didn't know when that was going to be. Here's what's interesting about that. A lot of people have an image in their mind about what the desert looks like. Okay, Colorado's technically a desert. That looks very different than, say, the Gobi Desert or something that's all just giant sand dunes, right? They were wandering through the Sinai. Anybody have a picture in their mind of what the Sinai looks like? Let me show you. Here's the first one. This is a, what's called a wadi, which is a, it's a kind of a low area where when it does rain, if it does rain, water will sometimes collect there for a short period of time. This is kind of what most of the Sinai looks like. You can see one tree growing right there because it happens to be near where sometimes there's water every now and then. That's what a lot of it looks like, okay? The, the mountain, Mount Sinai, that Moses went up. Here's a picture of that. That's pretty rugged. I don't, what you, I don't know what you had in your mind. When I first started learning, I didn't have that in mind. That's a difficult mountain. You can go there today and you can take hiking tours around it, which to me is amazing, but you can do that. But the Israelites, Scripture tells us the Israelites were camped down below. So this is kind of what it looks. That's not a fun place. If you were there, I'd be going like, God, you can move us anytime you like. Anytime you like. Because there are some places in the Sinai that look like this. Here's an oasis. Now, if you were camped there, You'd be like, okay, God, this is pretty good. Let's hang out here for a while, okay? But you had to treat both places the same. The place that wasn't so good and the place that was a little bit nicer, you're still setting up the tabernacle, you're still setting up your camp, and you're still saying, we are going to wait until God moves us. Now, if you were here, maybe after the last couple places, and that pillar moves again, and you're like, oh, man, we're moving now. I really liked this. Can you imagine? Do you think there had to be some people who kind of dug their heels in and said, well, I'm just going to stay here for a little bit longer. Do you think there might have been? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. It says collectively they followed, but there might have been a couple that's like, I'm not leaving. It's horrible in those other places. If they did, if they got comfortable and resisted when God was moving them, they would never have reached the promised land. 
they would never have walked into what God had for them. The good and the bad, the better, the worse. Some were better, some were worse. But they knew it was where God was taking them. And they followed where God was taking them. So, after the prophet Isaiah reminds the people of all this, he then encourages them to not hold on to the past. The good parts of the past and the bad parts of the past. Because our past can both be good and bad. Just because you give your life to Christ doesn't mean all of a sudden you forget everything. But he has to remind them of that. And this is where our scripture, where our uh, message name comes from. And a lot of you have probably heard this. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. He reminds them, he says, Do not call to mind the former things or consider things of the past. Behold, I am going to do something new. Now it will spring up. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. It's God's promise. I will make a way when it seems like there is no way. But you have to be willing to set aside the old, the good and the bad, and follow where God is leading, knowing that he promises he will make a way. So where we're heading with all this, today we are celebrating new life in Christ through baptisms. We are celebrating that together. Please hang out if you can and join us. It's such a great time. But we're also celebrating a potential move that God is doing among us. When we look at baptisms, it can be a hard thing, especially, again, for the people at the time Scripture was first written. But Paul says it. Paul's writing to the Romans now, Romans 6, 1 through 3, about how this works. Now imagine you, you, ha, you don't have hundreds of years of teaching and understanding through the Holy Spirit of how this all works. So you're trying to wrap your mind around, how do I go from a, what I was to this new thing? How do I go from death to life? And what does that mean? Paul says it like this, Romans 6, 1 through 3. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now, if you just heard that, you'd be going, I'm more confused than I was before, Paul. Romans 6, 4, and 5, he continues, though. He says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Then he goes on, verses 6 through 8, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for the one who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. He's trying to get across a very difficult concept to them. And that newness of life, that, that newness, doesn't begin when you've got it all figured out. You could hear that and go, I still don't know what he's saying. I don't know how that works. 
I don't get it. We need to know two things. Number one, it doesn't begin once you figure it out. That newness of life begins the minute you declare that he is your Lord and Savior. Paul again goes on to say it, Romans 10.9, that if, he's still trying to explain this concept to them, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it takes. You can remember all this other stuff. I'm trying to teach you all these other things about newness of life, but you just need to understand that it happened and that God promised that this is what you would receive. And that's a promise that you can rely on. So if you've got it figured out, great. If you've been tracking with me, great. But it's not necessary. It's also not necessary that you get all your stuff in order and you clean up your sins, clean up your act, and then come to me. I don't say any of that. Baptisms then are a public declaration that you are turning away or have turned away from your former way of life. That way of life that maybe wasn't so bad, but it was all about you. It was all about surviving. It was all about striving and getting the best that you can, the best comfort, that hierarchy of needs, you know, which, which is, is, is food, shelter, and companionship. Again, animals, animals can get that. There's got to be something higher that is a human being that you're striving for. And that thing is we should be striving for Jesus and the newness of life that he offers us. That's what we should come after. And it's something that is outside of ourselves. So when we do that, when we take baptism, when we are baptized, we're turning away from that old life. We are accepting what Christ offers and we are also taking a step, a very real step, towards fulfilling the great commission of Christ, which is, if you remember, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it fulfills that, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then walking out that, making disciples of all nations. So in addition to baptisms then, the newness of life that, that we are celebrating through that, we are also making our hearts ready for a new thing that God is doing. That new thing is like moving the Israelites in the desert. We need to be ready to move, and we need to be willing to move. When God moves, no matter how comfortable we might be where we are, no matter how inconvenient a move is, we need to trust that where God leads, we will follow. We need to trust in that. So most of you know that by now, there's this new property that we've been pursuing. Um, we believe that this is is where God is moving. We've been in prayer. Our, our elders have been in prayer. Pastor, staff, I've been in prayer. Gabe and I have been in prayer. And we have also been diligently searching out other options, other alternatives, other properties, church merges, purchases, this and that, all kinds of other things. And those have not found favor 
It's always felt like you go so far and then there's the end of the road. But it's not the end of the road and there's nothing else. It's a path that then leads you to something else. And by following God's lead, by following those paths that he places in front of us, we feel like we have come to the one that he is presenting us. It's, it's the promised land, not to put too uh, grandiose a term on it, but we feel like that's where God is leading us. We do know this for a fact. The reality is Discover Community Church does have to find a new home very soon. We have to. We do have a lease here, so it's not tomorrow But it's coming up, and it'll be here quicker than we think, where we need to find a new home. Purchasing this building is is not going to be feasible. It is far, far too expensive what they want for this. So we're going to have to move, and God is presenting this. We've run into obstacle after obstacle, and we feel like this is where the pillar of God is leading us. So we're thankful. Yeah, we are super thankful for this oasis that God has given us. Who loves this building? I do. I've loved this building since the first day. We've been here now as a church, um, as a pastor. I've been here for 15 years now. Four of them as Discover, but 11 as Jubilee Fellowship. It's been an oasis. It's been wonderful. But God is moving. And I think what he's moving us to is not a desert spot. I think it's another oasis. It's just a different oasis. And we need to be ready for God to move us. This new thing is is God's provision when it literally seemed like there's no way. Trust us, we've explored avenues. It had seemed like there was no way. But this is a roadway in the the wilderness. It is a life-giving stream in the desert. And it's a new mission field. It's not that far away, but it's a different... It's a different area around there. Around where this is, I'm talking about our potential three trees uh, home, is it's in the middle of an area where there are churches around, some of them very big, but charismatic churches like us who believe in the gifts of the Spirit, who believe in the prophetic, who believe in deliverance, who believe in healing, uh, teach straight from the Word of God. There's not a lot of that in that area. And so this is a new mission field for us to go over there and share those things, those miraculous workings of Christ through his body to an area that maybe not, hasn't been that exposed to that. This new thing will be a springboard to financial security. It might be the final stop of the pillar of fire. It might just be a step along the way, but it starts giving us some financial security that we don't have when we rent. It'll also help us to fulfill, or even in a better way, the great commission of Jesus, sharing the gospel, making disciples. Okay, we can do that. And I'll tell you all the details when we're over there and we're walking around. If you're at the info meeting, you heard it. But there is a way where this will be so much better for us as a church financially that we'll be able to devote so much more of our body's tithe towards ministry towards going out and doing new things and making disciples. It's just, to me, it's exciting in every way. And so I want to just invite you. You heard the announcement. At the back table back there, right by the fire extinguisher, there's a table of directions. So you can just grab a direction sheet. If you know where it is, then just go there. But it's 2.30 to 4 o'clock. Meet us there at 2.30. Let's go around the building. Let's look at it. Let's explore. But let's do it prayerfully. If you have anointing oil, bring it, and we can anoint the property. 
we can do all these things, but I want a leading for your heart. If God's preparing my heart and he's telling me, he's going to be doing it for you too. And so I want you all to be with us in one accord. I want this whole body to all hear from God. That's our move. And we all move together. I think it's going to be an exciting time. Then, remember, mark on your calendars, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. That's tomorrow night, right here, 7 p.m., will be our official uh, members meeting where we will, we will elect new board members officially. And then the exciting thing, we'll get to vote on if we make this move. So I want you to visit it, visit it today, prayerfully consider, and then come prepared to, to vote your heart and what God puts on your heart. Um, that's it for the message. I really didn't have like a, a tie it all together conclusion other than just let's pray. Let's pray for God's leading. Will you join me in that? Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for giving your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us so that we can receive the Holy Spirit. And it's by that spirit that we move together as one body, following your leading. And Lord, I pray that you, that you lead and you make it clear that this is your leading. If this is something that it just... If this is not a path that you have ordained for us, Lord, make that clear. But if it is, if it is, bring us together in one accord that we can know that we are in your will. We are following where you go. Lord, make that clear to us. Help us to walk out in what you have for us. Help us to be open to setting aside the old things. No matter how good or comfortable they would be, to pursue where you're leading because we know your promise is good. We know you promise to bless us for good and for not harm. You have a future. You have a hope. Lead us to that hope and we'll follow. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion together right now. Communion is a great way. If you have made that decision to follow Christ, whether today's the first time or you've done it in the past, it is a great way to just declare that. Take the body of Christ, take the blood of Christ and say, yes, I accept what you did on the cross for me. Your broken body, your blood shed for me, not for some story in a history book. You did that for me. When we take communion together, we are saying yes to that. And along with that celebration of what he did comes an acceptance of the mission that he gave us to go into the world, to make disciples, to share the news of who he is. We're not just to take our salvation, put it on a shelf and go home and hunker down until it all blows over. We are to get out into the world and be ambassadors of Christ to this world. That's our charge. And every time we take communion, we say, yes, where you take me, God, I will follow. And then after that, come back to your seats and worship with us. We have prayer team in the back. Look for a lanyard. If you need prayer, we have prayer for anything that you need prayer for. It is such a powerful weapon. Use it. Go back there and pray with them if you need it. If you are, if you're on the fence about being baptized, I want to push you off the fence okay it is such an amazing thing to do a public declaration 
Now, if you've planned on it and you've come with your towel and you're dressed for it and all that, it is going to be so exciting. And I want you to stick around and join us for that. But if you're on the fence, I don't want you to go home and say, I should have. If you think that might be you, then come over here. Okay, and if you are being baptized, family, friends, come on over here during worship. As soon as they're finished with worship, we're going to go right into it. So if you need to change or do anything, do that now. And let's all celebrate together. Amen? Thank you, guys.